Hello, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame. Episode 43. I'm Jamie Berger. My guest today is Jonathan Katz, whose animated Comedy Central series from the 90s, Dr. Katz, professional therapist, has recently been relaunched as Dr. Katz, the audio files on Audible. In the show, Katz plays a psychotherapist, nearly all of whose clients are famous comedians. Many of you know this already because you were as in love with the show as I was back in the 90s and are thrilled to hear that it's back. Uh, Joining Katz on the Audible reboot are two original amazing cast members, uh, John Benjamin and Laura Silverman as his son and receptionist, respectively. Guests uh, in the 10 episodes so far have included Ray Romano, Sarah Silverman, Weird Al Yankovic, Maria Bamford, and Ted Danson. And you'll hear a little bit of that, a little snippet of that episode later. There's also an Emo Phillips episode, and I think by now, Emo must think I'm some kind of a psycho fan on Twitter. He's very polite on Twitter and replies... Uh, I'm not. In fact, back when he was a bigger star, I didn't really follow him. I I think it was probably The Voice. But on another Audible series, Eugene Merman's Hold On, Emo is wonderful and tells a great story. And that series, Hold On, is now available on iTunes too. So you should go listen to that. Uh, it's, It's great. I know at this point, in the last month or so, it's starting to sound like I'm some kind of a, a pro bono Audible shill, but I'm really not. But I do want to tell you about one other Audible show, and that's uh, John Ronson's new podcast, The Butterfly Effect, which, if you don't mind a podcast that deals a lot with the porn industry, you should really go check out. I plowed through it in two days last week. Jonathan Katz and I spoke on the phone in July. Hello, Jonathan Katz. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. You know, you made my, indirectly made my dinner with my wife very tense last night. <laughs> How so? Because, well, she she works for Planned Parenthood, and I asked her if she's ever seen the abortion diaries um, made by one of your guests, Penny Lane. And she, she said no, and all of a sudden it became an emergency that she has to see it. The thing that made me wary of Penny Lane was her name because it was the name of a character in the movie Almost Famous. Yeah, and a song. Yeah. She was actually, it, it, I don't know, I'd love to ask her parents about this, but I think they're kind of estranged. She was named after the song. Right. I, I bet her parents are hippies. Yeah. Or just mean. Yeah. Or comics. Um, hey, Jamie, where, where are you now in area code four? Are you in area code four one three? I am. I'm I'm in Western Mass, just about two hours from you. 
Oh, yeah, we spent. We have a place in on Richmond Pond, which is not probably not far from where you are. Well, do you know what town it's? Do you in? know where that is? No. It's it's officially in in Pittsfield. Nice. It's funny. There are so many little micro worlds. I drove because we're kind of in this world in between Eastern Mass and the Berkshires. And then I go to the Berkshires and it's a whole nother world and go to the five college area and it's a whole nother world. But no, I don't know Richmond Pond. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My daughter went to Hampshire. So I know that part of the world. Ah. Does your daughter going to Hampshire have anything to do with you knowing my friend Eugene Merman? No, I know Eugene. I, I I only discovered, yeah, through comedy, I discovered that almost re- kind of recently that he went to Hampshire. One one of the things that I was doing a segment on a show for public radio, uh, and the host was a guy named Dean Ulcher. Mm-hmm. It was called it was called the next big thing. <laughs> and one of the one one of the segments I did was about um, fame. Was about. Um, do you think? Do you think you've already used your fifteen minutes of fame? And if not, do you think Bob Dylan is eating into it? <laughs> I know because he is milking that. It, it, it doesn't seem right. So when did you record the next big thing? I got to go find that. Oh, the next big thing. The host was this guy Dean Ulsher, and, and maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Did you think you were the next big thing? No. I, I still don't. But um, I wonder what the next big thing is. And I don't think it's good, the next big thing. Well, it's certainly not good right now. No. That was a vague political reference. Yeah, m- mine too. Yeah. So where are you, he- where are you heading to? I understand you're traveling... Today. Yeah, I'm going to uh, visit my father in Albany, in uh, oh. actually Slingerlands, outside of Albany, where I grew up. Wait, near 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 Austerlitz. <laughs> Vaguely near Austerlitz, Isn't yes, it? yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know that part of the world a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I used to have um, meetings up there with a the guy. A TV writer named John Marcus. When I when I was working for Paramount, we would have meetings about shows we were d- trying to Americanize or develop for them. One was a great show called Good Night Good Night Sweetheart, British show. But um, we never got anything on the air together. And he tried to help me when I finally did get something on the air because I had I knew nothing about producing a TV show and he knew everything about it. Hey, you bet you you don't let me uh, lead us astray too far. I, I'm fine with going as far astray as 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 we want, as long as we're talking about something. But I I went okay. fearing that maybe you would be reticent. Although I've listened to you a lot, and you don't seem very reticent. I had a quote lined up from your bio from your from your homepage, which is, "I need an audience more than anyone I know." I know it's not becoming, it's a flaw, but I am not without flaw. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it has to do with adulation. Uh, it's like a very, it's like a very potent drug. It's very hard when, when you experience that kind of adulation that I've experienced in my life, 
working in front of a live audience or uh, winning an award. It's very, it's very hard for for life's more subtle pleasures to compete. Yeah, it, it's true. It is like a drug. You know what else is like a drug? If you ever are on your way to your guest house in the next, or your guest house, your summer house, your lake house, stop at Mass Mocha. There's a new exhibit by Laurie Anderson. Virtual reality. You put on the goggles and everything. Oh my god! It's amazing. It's amazing. I've always wanted. I've always wanted to do that. It, it, it's mind blowing, and it, it's it seems really. If you, I try to describe it, like you fly around and stuff. It seems very superficial, but it it really changed my perspective on the world. I saw it last weekend. Uh, so that's that's my my hot tip. That's the next big thing. Yeah, virtual reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I know two fa- really famous people. One is David Mamet, who I've known for 50 years because I'm old, mm-hmm. better than you. Yeah. And the other, is, the other is Ted Danson, who's incredibly famous in another way. How do you think they handle it? Well, well, you know, I think when David uh, became famous, I guess it was after the debut of his play American Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, I don't know how it affected him, but I felt like I was sharing, I had to share my best friend with the world all of a sudden. And that that was difficult. That's very interesting. How did you, how were you friends before it happened? Yeah, we we went we went to college together, but um, the, the the night of the opening of American Buffalo, I, David invited me to join him at Sardi's uh, across the street from the theater. And at the table with us that night was um, Robert Duvall, <laughs> uh, Dustin Ho- Dustin Hoffman, Tuesday Weld, um, Mike Nichols. His wife, wow. Diane Sawyer, um, many other, a few other famous people, and I was sitting at the end of the table. And when <laughs> the meal was done, the waiter brought me the check. <laughs> <laughs> so I found myself in the awkward position of saying, um, "So, Dustin, did you have the uh, the veal piccata? <laughs> you, you didn't pick it up. You didn't I, just... had, I had I had no money. I was yeah. broke. I was flat broke." Yeah. But um but you know, we su- we survived that. We're still very good friends with David and I. I saw him last week or two weeks ago in LA. I just learned that you uh were involved in writing one of my favorite movies that doesn't seem like you at all in a way, House of Games. Yeah, my my involvement was essentially getting coffee for David and we we did go to a place together called the House of Games on the west the west side of Manhattan, and we used to hang out at this place called Marty Reisman's. Marty Reisman was a two time U.S. table tennis champion. Yes, and, and yeah, and at pool halls, and David and I had this um, scam where where I would hustle people in. Ping pong, table tennis, 
Well, I I would spot them 15 points in a 21 game. <laughs> and during every point, I would have to recall some painful experience from my adolescence. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, actually, that was probably your first taste of, of a certain kind of, not not fame in front of an audience, but you you were a champ. Yeah, that, and they are, they are the strangest subculture in America, ping pong players. But I was a New York State champion, 1964. Yeah, that's the year I was born. And and you must have been, I don't know if you actually hustled people, but you don't seem to have a very uh, imposing physical presence, so it might have worked well. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I did hustle people, but... I'm not proud of it. Most of them, most of them were, were middle-aged guys who came in from New Jersey to 96 and Broadway. And, you know, they wanted to play and I wanted their money. Mm. Uh, it was a little kind of pathetic way to make money, but, and then one day, uh, my, my family and I were living in Douglaston, Long Island and Queens. Mm-hmm. And, and I found this racket, this ping pong racket that had been lying in the sun much too long. So all the all the pips on the racket had melted. So people who used to offer me points in a 21 game, all of a sudden I could offer, like the, there was a guy named, tell me if this gets too boring, Martin Das, a really good player. Mm-hmm. And I would spot him 10 points in a game to 21 because there was no way he could control the ball off the racket. You gave him the bad one? Uh, yeah, I gave him that racket. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but Marty Reesman, the first time I met Marty Reesman, he offered to play me using the chess piece. <laughs> and I think he, he we played a 21 game for $2, and he took my money. I just did. 12-year-old kid. Wow. But Marty Reisman was, and he wrote a book called The, the Money Player. Um, but he was an, was an amazing character, Marty. Back to the, the, the 15 minutes part. How much of yours, do you feel like you've had your fair share? Oh, yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm being cartoon famous is so different because you have to you have to tell people you're famous. Occasionally, occasionally somebody recognizes my voice, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. But you know, nobody knows who I am unless I tell them about it, which is a little undignified. Yeah. I asked Eugene. I asked him about cartoon fame versus that. Would he? Would he? prefer to be just cartoon famous and be very successful, but be more invisible or to be more, uh, I mean, like say, uh, I'm blanking on her name, the voice of Bart Simpson, Nancy Cartwright, or to have a larger and perhaps more powerful, but also more intrusive level of fame. Uh, you know, uh, people stopping you on the street kind of thing. And while he talked about friends who struggle with that, he had no. There was no question that it's interesting because most people would say they 
at least most people I have talked to would say they'd rather be the invisible and their work is known, but they can be anonymous. He was like, no, this is what I do. Being on stage and being known, it's, it didn't, it didn't seem like he craved it, but part of success was being seen, known. Yeah. He also had such a recognizable voice, Eugene. As do you and John. Yeah. Yeah, John Benjamin is ridiculous. Um, I, I spoke to him yesterday. I had, I was, I was so bored. I was trying to get some woman to talk dirty to me, <laughs> but, but I ended up talking to John Benjamin. Did it do the trick? Well, you know, I, I had called Staples, mm-hmm. and John Benjamin was my next stop. But we had, I don't even know what we talked about. I'm trying to remember. Um, oh, I know. I was trying to get a favor for a friend of mine from Louis C.K., which is really uh, not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Because he's so unavailable, Louis. Um, but I love talking to John Benjamin because we usually end up laughing pretty hard. I, I, I really love the moments where, in, in the original show, that you could hear you two kind of breaking up. Uh, Weezing. What? Yeah. Yeah. Weezing. Weezing. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I got paid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've become, uh, I mean, it, it seems like you just mentioned Ted Danson, which I didn't know about that part. Actually, before I go on, how, how do you two, what's, what's that? Is there a story? Well, we we worked we worked together on a show called Inc. for CBS, and then we uh, would continued our friendship on a on a um, on Martha's Vineyard, where he has a a home and it's kind of a fixture of the island. And we would spend our summers there with our when our kids were little. Our kids are now twenty five and thirty four, and we have two grandchildren who are both sexually active. They're three and five. Yeah, yeah. And um, are you married? Yes, no children, many pets. Right. That sounds like an Indian name. (laughs) That could be uh, our Indian names. Yes. I was getting to the idea of, so you've known or worked with from, you know, Robin Williams to... Oh God, I forgot about I forgot about Robin. He he was he had a whole other kind of fan, which was he he couldn't even leave his home without being attacked by reporters. Or would you, well, especially while Mork and Mindy was on the air, he was just. Um, and I've been telling this story for years. I don't. I know. I toured with him for a year, and in 1978, and I think. But the story I tell is that I, after the show, women would try to find him, and I once once sold a vial of his urine for five hundred dollars to some woman. But I have no idea if it's true or not. I've just been telling it for so long. <laughs> I have those, yeah, yeah. I I used to live in San Francisco, and in one miserable year, after making performance art and writing fiction, I I tried doing stand up. Uh, and I would hang out, you know, do the cafes and then hang out at Cobb's in the punchline and hope to get up for five minutes. 
And I think it was, uh, you know, one Monday or Sunday a month, all the locals would grumble on in and hope to get up. And every now and then Robin would show up and he'd just be take, he, he had every reason to die with the back of the room. He came and took, you know, half an hour to 40 minutes of 45 minutes of our time. And he, you know, oh, you know, he was, you know, we were supposed to have disdain for him. He killed every time, just, 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 and then all the, all the bitter comics were flocking to say hello to him after, even though I think most people didn't want to like him. <laughs> well, I think the biggest response I ever got on stage was at Catch a Rising Star in New York when I said the phrase, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Robin Williams. <laughs> it was almost like I was in a wind tunnel. Um, but we, we became friends because his first wife, it's my ex was my ex girlfriend from college, and he introduced Robin to some of my music. Uh, one song I had written with David Mamet, and he did them in, on his, the tour for his first album called Reality. What a concept! And I was his musical director, which was an odd credit because he's not a singer. But my question relating to all these people is and whether you've had your fair share and are happy, were there times when you were envious, bitter? I mean, you are, to me, uh, someone who I think of as, as just made one of the best shows I've ever loved and is a legend and maybe... And by the way, I didn't make that, I didn't, I didn't make that show by myself. I made it with the help of Tom Snyder. Yes. Um, yes. Who... Really was the brains of the outfit. But then there's that 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 would beg the question of whether he's bitter. <laughs> no, he's had such success in he made his uh living in edu making the educational software. He's a, an educator more than anything else. In fact if you spoke to him he'd tell you he was a school. Um but it's an amazing musician. He's writing musicals. Um an incredibly generous friend. He's a different kind of friend. Um, I don't know if you have a a friend who's a guy who you can talk to about health, for instance. Is there someone like that in your life? I can talk to about health. My own health? We, yeah. I complain. You sounded Irish or for a Scottish for a second. Yes. Um, about health. Uh, yeah, I'm but it not... seems like it seems like women are more comfortable talking about stuff like that than men. And Tom and I about have... most things. Hmm. Yeah, Tom and I have this very unusual relationship where we can talk about parenting, we can talk about health, but not uh, politics. Not, you don't have to uh, be funny with each other. Right, and and occasionally, you know, he he has he told me that um, he once asked me if, if I think it's narcissistic to stare at my own image in a pond, <laughs> which is a great joke. I'm so glad it you really enjoyed is. that. So simple. Yeah. yeah, it goes all the way back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. But if you do use that line, please attribute it to Tom Snyder. I will. 
I will. I think you just did. Um, yeah. Another thing I've been thinking listening to you is, and thinking about the difficulty of that people don't talk about fame, especially when they're struggling to have some of it. You don't hear any fame jokes. Got any fame jokes? I see some. wonder if I do. Even tangentially? Yeah. Um, oh, just how fickle uh, show business is. I guess it's about fame. I, um, you know who Jennifer, Jennifer Love Hewitt, is that her name? Yes. Um, well, I asked my phone, my smartphone to call Jennifer Love Hewitt, and it said the name cannot be recognized. Whoa. That's a pretty, I, I used to do the joke with Mary Stewart Masterson. But it's too hard to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you think she'd feel about that? Not good. Yeah. She'd want it to be recognized. Yeah. she. I mean, she was a wonderful actress, or still is, maybe. But do, do you feel like you've, you've, you're comfortable? Your level of, you know... Oh, yeah. I have a really... I have a nice level of fame. I am comfortable. How did you end up resuscitating? Not resuscitating. It wasn't dead. Whatevering. Dr. Katz. We just resuscitated it. Um, I guess uh, that was kind of the idea of my management who, uh, you know, I don't own any rights to that show. They're all owned by Comedy Central owns the copyright. The show was made with a lot of production partners, the cartoon. So every once in a while, this like we do Dr. Cat's Live, which is uh, beneath the radar of Comedy Central. And I think this show also is in the same category, plus it's some kind of legal arrangement. So, you know, it's, Kind of a sweet deal for me because I I can do the show from my home and or anywhere in the anywhere in the world because of the way we record, which I cannot discuss with you. <laughs> uh, can you discuss upcoming guests? I've heard the first five. Yeah, I think the last one is Jim Gaffigan, who I'm really excited about. Um, Janine Garofalo is going to be recorded soon. Uh, I'm recording someone today named uh, Sashir Zamata. She was a, a an actress on SNL, and she left just left the show. She was on for a few seasons. Here's that clip from the Ted Danson episode of Doctor Katz, the Audible Files I mentioned earlier. I can understand the the difficulty surrounding aging. Mm-hmm. Um, hey Ted, this is I hate to to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. It's such a, a tender moment, mm-hmm. but you're past due. Uh, you're I haven't gotten a check from you in a while. Didn't we talk about paying uh, based on results? No, we've never had that conversation, and I never would have that conversation. I'd be broke. Were you when you were a kid? Were you ever depressed as a kid? No, no, no. 
happy-go-lucky. I just played all day, uh, rode horses, played with my friends, experimented sexually. You know, it was very lighthearted. When you experimented sexually, did you use a Bunsen burner? Uh, is this a trick question? Now, Ted, if you go back to your first best friend, can you think of that person's name? Yeah. Are you still in touch with them? No, no. I, um, where were you well, going with this, may I ask? Well, well, I, I think, you know, that your best friend now is probably your wife. Well, Mary? I know everyone, you know, she's beloved and all of that, and people have a perception of who she is, but she's, you know, she's like a shrew, really. I mean, when you come right down to it, I mean, it's like, so fucking demanding to live with her. It's it's. Uh, People say that becoming a parent is a great experiment, but I think also becoming a spouse is is a really great experiment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially when like the the adrenaline and the hormones and everything start to slow down a little bit. I mean, what well, are you, you left with then? I mean, well, I mean, you develop a whole new sense of what intimacy means. Yeah, it's holding hands like before you go to bed or something. And that, some nights she doesn't even really want to. Anyway, I know huh. you've described her today as a shrew, it, shrew-ish, shrew-ish, and you know it's yeah. probably sometimes instead of making love, mm -hmm. just a high five can be almost as satisfying. Really? No, I can't sell that. Are we getting a cat? Well, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it because cats require care. And, you know, you can take care of a cat. I think it would be good for you to take care of something. Well, I have a son to take care of, and I hope I. I He's an adult. Cats are babies forever. I think the sounds that cats make are really soothing. And I guess I'm talking yeah. about the purring. Yeah, the purring. I used to have a Siamese cat, though. I don't know if you're allowed to say that anymore. A conjoined cat. The sound that it made was like. So it's soothing. Yeah, I loved it. Ted, I've always been perplexed by your devotion to the ocean. Well, it almost sounds like a lyric, devotion think, to the ocean. I think that you hit it, devotion to the ocean. You know, here's a here's a true story. When I was a seven-year-old, I had these fever dreams, and I'd wake up screaming and run into my parents, and they go, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I, what are you dreaming? I said, I am sitting on a beach, and I hear God's voice say, Ted. How did you recognize his voice? You have one hour to empty the ocean into this bucket. And then he hands me a spoon with holes in it and says, or the entire world will explode. And it's such an uh, awesome responsibility for a kid, especially. Yeah. See, you see the ocean as hope and our future. And I'm just putting words in your mouth, but is that true? Yeah, I do. I think that if we learn how to fish our oceans sustainably, uh, we could help feed the world, you know. See, and I see the ocean as, as sort of a nature's death trap. When I, when I listened to your show, I said, 
you're doing my act. I, I own the long pause. <laughs> uh, you can get your lawyers in touch with me, but there ain't much to get from me right now. You can't really copyright, copyright the length of a pause. No. But it's underused. Yeah. I often ask people towards the end of these conversations, although I would be happy if this weren't towards the end, about whether they uh, got recognition or validation or seeked it from any particular person that they looked up to in their field. And I just heard you talking with, oh, what's his name, who does uh, the podcast? Uh, uh, okay, I'm blanking on everything, but you talked about Ronnie Shakes. Oh, my God. Yeah, he, he died long before I had any success. Ah. He died so young. Um, but it doesn't prevent me from doing his act. Yeah, he, he willed it to you, from what you said. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah, and, and the last time I saw him, he was just thrown in jail on some trumped-up charge. Mm-hmm. And they, told, they, they, they said, uh, they said you, you're allowed one call. Nobody called. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my favorite joke. I love it. Um, I, I love it. And I laughed uproariously to it about an hour and a half ago. <laughs> that, that's the problem. That's when, uh, you, that's when you read it. That's when I did heard it. Read the um, one about, did you know his joke about reincarnation? No. I just blew 5,000 bucks on a reincarnation seminar. I figure, what the hell, you only live once. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he did it in the rhythm of Georgie Jessel. Mm-hmm. But, um, hey, you know, it's a great podcast, and I don't think podcasts are really necessary, but there's a guy named Jason Cram who does a podcast called Comedy on Vinyl. Jason Cram? Hmm. Cram. K L A M M. Oh, um, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I was just listening to a guy named Mike Scully, who is a Simpsons writer, talking about this Mother's Brothers. I think my parents had one album. How old are your parents? My my mother is is now infinite because she's dead. Uh, my father's eighty eight. Oh God, I love hearing about people who are older than me. How is he doing, you dead? He's trucking along. Trucking along. He's still still driving, still complaining about the Knicks. Still doing the Times puzzle every day. Doing well. So so his it sounds like his mind is in good shape. Yes. And he dad, when you listen to this, he asks me all the time. He says he tells me about another friend of his who's losing it. That's his term, losing it. And he says, "Am I losing it?" But Dad, you have not lost it. You're 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 as you're as you're as repetitive as you were at seventy-two. No more. Huh. Uh, do you have siblings? Nope. You do. So you're an only child. Mm. Yeah, I do have a sister. Are you are you giving me therapy? Am I? Because I can't pay for this. I just no. I just I think that's my def- mode. <laughs> And I'm also I'm also very curious about people, um, and I and especially around the area of siblings. I think 
but I can't get anything out of you in that area because you ain't, ain't got none. Yeah, you could get the lack of siblings out of me. Yeah, but I bet your wife has two sisters. My wife? Yeah. She has one. Nice work, though. Damn it, so close. Yeah. You know, I used to be read minds in, in restaurants in New York City. <laughs> you mean walking table to table? Yeah, but I, I quit because it's so hard to tell what people are thinking. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, I'm making jokes. I, I, I'm, I was hoping you would. Uh, yeah. I, I was hoping kind you would. Kind of a nasty habit. Yes, yes. You, you, which you've managed to put to good use. Were you a joker before you were when you were a child, when you were a ping pong star? Uh, Yeah, I wasn't. And as a teenager, I don't think I was. When I was a little kid, I don't think I made jokes. Oh, I know another guy who's associated with fame, who is the son of Zero Mostel, Josh Mostel, who's also was is a working actor. He was my he was my best friend in in the sixth grade, in the fifth grade in New York. Um, and I remember the first joke I ever made because I was talking to him and he was kind of a chubby kid. And he said to me, cats, you, your bat's in the belfry. <laughs> and I said, Josh, your fat's in the belly. And this is just a stupid joke, I promise no. you. But it was the first one. That was That was the first one you remember? Yeah, the first one I remember making the first joke. Huh. And and as you were as you uh, and they, it wasn't all recorded on video and audio back then, so we will never know. Uh, I might have, I might have that on audio. I've been <laughs> recording things since I was seven years old, and my father brought home a tape, a reel-to-reel machine from work, which I used daily for years. What was his work? I recorded stuff with my cousin. Well, he was a communist. <laughs> uh, and when he was younger, he, both of my parents and they left me everything. Um, he he was a he was a he was a celebrity in family. My dad, he was on the front page of the New York Times and the Baltimore Sun for years, having to do with the labor movement. Huh. What was his uh, full name? Sidney Roosevelt Katz, and then and then he. Then he had to testify before the McCarthy hearings, and he went into the Jewish business after that. Meaning? He became an executive director of the Park Avenue Synagogue, and ah. and then and then after my mom died when I was very young, and then my father discovered he liked really wealthy women. So uh, he married married an heir to the Bloomingdale estate. Um, I don't know. Has to do with creature comforts. Yeah, and also having two kids. He was engaged to Woody Guthrie's widow, and she said no because she didn't want to marry a guy with kids. And my father was a real womanizer as an old man. How old was he still uh, womanizing? He looked to, well, I think in his eighties. Damn. And. I learned this at a at a at the local chapter of adult children of Sydney Cats. <laughs> my I think my grandfather was also something of a of a I think he sent his, his sons to 
I know he sent them to socialist summer camp. But I, he wasn't a public communist. In, in what state? In, in, uh, in the Bronx. No, oh, from, from the Bronx up to probably the Catskills, I'm guessing. Oh, I wonder if it was Kemp Kindland. Uh, my, my cousin Paul went to, went to a lot of socialist camps. I will ask Mark Berger. So I should get ready for this show I'm doing in a little while. But, Jamie, I hope you got enough. Thanks. I, I'm quite sure I got enough. But I, I really appreciate I'm glad this happened um, because I love your voice and your work, so it's great to hear it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks. Don't make me sing the song Fame from the movie Fame. Is, do you actually want me to make you? Was that disingenuous? All I know is that, well, fame. There you go. We're going to live forever. That's all I know. That's a scoop right there. But I watched it the other day. It's not that bad. The movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. I should watch it and talk about it, really, huh? Made in the 70s, I think. Mm-hmm. Formative. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Oh, sure. Thank you. Jonathan Katz also has uh, an erstwhile podcast of his own. And I say erstwhile because I think there hasn't been a, an episode this year. But on it, you'll find a lot of his comedy. Uh, and here's a sampling he put together of some of his appearances on late night shows. But this is uh -huh. a tough wreck. I, I have a lot of a lot of compassion for anybody trying to make it in this business because it's just brutal. You know that from from your it is. Own. It's a tough business. Yeah, talent. You need talent. You need uh, you need luck. And more important than either of those things is is good business instincts. And that's where I fell short. You have bad uh, business instincts. You tell me. Five years ago, Lorne Michaels calls me, offers me Saturday Night Live. I say <laughs> I say any other night. <laughs> Has this, I mean, has it really changed you, you know, the, playing a therapist? Are you a different person now? I think I'm a better father. I think I'm a more sensitive father. You know, I have two, two beautiful kids, a couple of kids not so attractive. But, <laughs> okay. That's the deal. But, I, but, um, but I had a, uh, I had a breakthrough a few more as, a, as a parent where I realized that it's not so much what you say to the kids, it's picking the right moment. Mm -hmm. I'm, walking, yeah. I'm walking my four-year-old to school the other day, and she sees a, a dead squirrel on the ground. And she says, Daddy, what's, what's wrong with the squirrel? I say, I'm not sure, but your, your mother has a drinking problem. <laughs> really? the, uh, my wife and I are actually in New York on our Fabio. second <laughs> Bust, you know, because so, uh, you know we wanted to go to a luxury hotel, which is what we're doing now. Uh, for a real honeymoon, we ended up camping in the Catskill Mountains. First night, three in the morning, I hear a rustling in the woods. I, I open, I stick my head out inside of the tent. Shecky Green. <laughs> um, but uh -huh, just pawing his way through your trash. <laughs> Who knows? Work in, the, work in the room. <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. But, you know, I am, this is my, uh, my hometown, New York. And, mm -hmm. and it's, I live in New England now, but when I come back here, I can't tune into the accent. I was, I was midtown today in a crowded elevator. The elevator man says, call out your flaws. I, I say, I'm impatient with the elderly. <laughs> uh, I'm tucking in my five-year-old the other night, and she was clearly upset about something. And, and she, apparently she had seen a commercial for a movie about the Jonestown Massacre. And, and I... 
explained to her, I said, listen, uh, honey, sometimes, sometimes grown-ups join religious cults. And they give their children lethal doses of Kool-Aid. <laughs> Good night, sweetie. The name of Jonathan Katz's erstwhile podcast is Hey, We're Back, and you can find that and a great many other things, Jonathan Katz, at jonathankatz.com. And I'm going to trust that you can spell that. You can find Dr. Katz, the audio files, at audible.com. And you can find everything about this show at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 1-5-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. If you like what you hear, take a look at some of the other 42 episodes. And please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And look for us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all over the goddamn internet. Ed Patnode makes us sound terrific. Christian Kandari made our theme song. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Berger.